take a moment. Worship God right now in the quietness of your own heart. What has he been good to you with? Think of every good thing God has done. Think of your children, your parents, work, health. Think. Don't forget of how good God is to us. course that is worship father thank you for your goodness towards us God you're just absolutely incredible God I thank you that I walked into a church 30 years ago just thinking I was doing my wife a favor I've never left God you did me a favor and you gave me a good wife father and you gave me a great savior I thank you father God continue to watch over all of us God and let everyone in this room know that you who began a good work will be faithful to complete it God you're doing something in us God and you're not going to stop because you love us so much God you are going to draw us closer to yourself bless today's service I ask God in Jesus name Amen. please be seated Relax. <laughs> Psalm 51, I will speak about David's remorse. Stay with me as we go through Psalm 51. Listen closely to every word. Every metaphor. Listen to this man who's crying out to get close to God again. This is somebody who has walked far, far away from God. And he remembers how sweet it used to be. But he realized something happened. He had sinned greatly against God. And this is his psalm, these 19 verses of him crying out to God. So... Follow along with me on Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltless, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Father, help us to enter into David's heart. As this man penned this psalm, Father God, 3,000 years ago, Lord, help us, Father God, to see how human David is and how much he needs you, God. And let it be reminded to all of us, God, that you are always close to the brokenhearted. And there's nothing we've ever done in our life, nothing that cannot be forgiven when we come to you, Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully you have been following our teaching, at least for the last three weeks. I was doing Pastor John preached last week, but the week, three weeks before that, I spoke on the historical circumstances that this psalm led to, which we found in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, which gives the historical circumstances that lead up to this heartfelt, remorseful psalm. It's a deep cry from this king's heart. Out of all the genuine repentance in the Bible, and there's a lot, this cry for forgiveness, I truly believe, is the greatest. Most in-depth cry of the soul in need of God's mercy. You will find no greater cry anywhere in all of human literature. Why? Why do you ask? Because there are worse sins recorded in Scripture. Paul's persecution of the early church comes to mind. Possibly Adam's sin comes to mind. Peter's denial of Christ comes to mind. Judas's betrayal comes to mind. And the list goes on and on and on. But here we have a man, it's different. This man knew God, and this man loved God from his childhood up. This is a man who has walked with God his whole life, who has honored God through his whole childhood, all the way up to being a king. David probably now in his mid-50s. He knows nothing but a faithful life to God. He only knows closeness to God. David was at the pinnacle of his ministry as the king when this sin happened. It's a great, great, great fall from the grace he had. One that, humanly speaking, you cannot ever recover from without God's help. Humanly speaking. This is a rags to riches, 
Back to Rags again story. It's a man pleading with God to restore the broken relationship, the thriving broken relationship he once had with God. A relationship of joy and of peace, of hope, faithfulness, steadfastness, a constant relationship always there. Now all that's left is this broken, despondent man. He's a shell of a human being. David was a feared warrior. Don't forget that. And now he can't even help himself. What is such a man to do? Well, the psalm spells it out for us. Let me give you a little revision of the last couple of weeks, just the history behind that. Starting in 1 Samuel 11 and 12, we see a king who stayed home from the battle. His duty was to be on the front line, but for some reason he stayed home. And he finds himself in the greatest battle he ever had in his life. And it wasn't Goliath. It was himself. And the lust he had in his heart. He sees a naked, beautiful woman. She's bathing. As the king, he has the right to send for anybody. He has royal authority. And that's what he does. He uses his royal authority to inquire about this young woman. When word comes back of who she is, her father and her husband were David's good friends. It didn't stop this man from sending again and taking her this time for his sexual pleasure. She then sends and tells him, I'm pregnant. The king goes into panic mode. He knows this is not good. So he tries to cover up the sin with a crime. That didn't work. And he tried to cover up everything with another crime. And for a short time, it seems like he got away with it. But for one year, his conscience tormented him. Every day, God's hand was heavy upon his conscience. In his own words, he said, it felt like God had broken up every bone in his body. Do you ever break a bone? Do you ever break many bones at one time? It's brutal. David is saying on the inside, God, I am broken. I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't know what's up. I don't know what's down. My whole life has been undone. The rug has been pulled out from underneath me. I feel like I am an undone, broken shell of a human being that has no hope whatsoever. God allows a full year to go by hoping that David's conscience would be enough to lead him back to repentance. But shame and guilt are too high of a mountain for him to get over. So God has to do something. God sends his prophet to rebuke him. His eyes are open to the fact that God knows, and so does everybody else in Israel. Your sin will find you out. God forgives his sins but does not remove the dire consequences of his sin. The child that he had through adultery dies. 
and David's life, life will never ever be the same again. There we, there were, I'm sorry. That's where we are in tonight's psalm right now, and I don't want you to miss this. Nathan's rebukes David. That was last two weeks' message. Now David is living there with the full realization that God saw everything, that the nation knows everything. He's a man humiliated by his own sin and his own shame. David, for some time after David, uh, Nathan's rebuke, starts to reflect on the whole matter. you got to realize, the dust has settled, the smoke has cleared, he's basically coming to his senses, but he's traumatized. And that's what sin can often do. He has nothing familiar left with his relationship with God. He don't even know if God hears him anymore. It's ruined. This is an up-to-the-moment, the emotional moment of where we are right now. David is undone. He does not feel the closeness of God anymore. He knows he's forgiven, but everything is totally unfamiliar. There was a time he had close relationship with God. He can trust in God. He can rely on God. He can easily go to God. He can easily read his Bible. He can easily go to the temple and worship God. But now he can do none of it. Nothing is familiar. This leads David to a great, great remorse as he reflects on everything that has happened from God's perspective. Don't forget that. We often reflect on things in our life from our own perspective. But when you reflect on it from God's perspective, it takes on a whole different meaning. Let's go to our psalm. Let's look at it with some application as I go through it. Psalm, let's go to verses 1 and 2. David says this. Maybe sitting on a park bench in, uh, in, in Cannonball Park. That's where I've done my best repentance. And there's no one around and you're there. God, have mercy on me. This is David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Within these two verses, verses that repeat the same theme in different ways so as to get to the magnitude of his sin, David says two great truths we need to know. Number one, he's a sinner. He has nothing to offer God in his life at this point. He's without hope. He's without joy. He's without peace. The only thing he has is guilt and shame are his only companions. There is nothing else. Nobody was in David's corner encouraging him. You know why? There was nothing to encourage him about. At this point in his life, Nathan said all he could say. And now it was between him and God what was going to happen. The second one is the only remedy to his sin is God's faithfulness and steadfast love. Please understand something. The only remedy for you and me is God's faithfulness and steadfast love. We have nothing to offer God but God himself. 
David could not go to God and say, God, do you remember that time I did this for you? And remember that time I did that for you? You and I can't go to God and say, well, God, I'm a good person, and I've done this, God, and I've done that. No, we have no resume. The only thing we can go is, God, according to your steadfast love, remember what Jesus did for me. That's all you have. You have nothing. God could care less about your resume. He doesn't care about how much money you give away. He doesn't care about your good deeds. He doesn't care about how well people speak about you. He doesn't care about how well we think of ourselves. Because we have a a high opinion of ourselves. God sees the inward part, as David says. And you can fool people. But you can't fool God. And that's what David's saying here. But he needs God's faithfulness now. The only remedy is God's steadfast love. David, after all his reflections, can only see his sin and his guilt. That's all he can see. He has ruined this. Remember, this is the king. The whole kingdom depends on the king. It's like a father who has ruined a relationship with his wife for infidelities. And who suffers? The family suffers. Sin always causes pain. Always. You can run away from it. David was running away. God chased him down. He says this, The cry for washing is a sincere desire for spiritual cleansing from guilt. The power of guilt. Please understand something. Only God can handle guilt. That is it. David's ruined on the inside. He's crying out to wash me from this guilt. Guilt itself has become too heavy for him. He, he can't move. He can't get out of bed. They've got to feed him. They've got to wash him. They've got to clothe him. He's overwhelmed. He's paralyzed with guilt of what he has done. He's come to his sense and he's, he's looking at all the damage he's caused. He killed his best friend. He seduced and raped his wife. They had a child. The child died. He can't face the father-in-law anymore. He can't. Everyone knows it. He says three things in these two verses we need to know. He says, blot out, wash me thoroughly, and cleanse me. And what he's saying is this. The power of guilt is killing me, God. It's 24-7. It's a horror to me. I can't stand myself. I loathe myself. Everywhere I look, I see guilt. I've harmed people. I killed someone. I ruined a marriage. I'm ruining a nation. I'm I'm an absolute mess. I have nowhere to go. The guilt and the shame is overwhelming. I can't run from it, God. I couldn't drink enough. I couldn't do enough drugs. I can't. There's nowhere I turn, God, to get away. Away from the heavy conscience. It was a 24-7 overwhelming sense of his guilt and the shame of what he had done. He couldn't get it out of his mind. No, not for one minute. Mm. 
He's asking God to remove the power of the guilt. There are times in our life where sin is so overwhelming and this guilt could be so powerful that you cannot get away from it. And that's what David's talking about. That's what sin does. It puts up this big mountain. You feel like you're in a pit. You can't get out of it. There's shame and there's remorse and there's guilt. And it's emotionally, it's overwhelming. And psychologically, you can't move. He, he did nothing for over a year. He did not represent the nation as the king. He goes on to say in verses 3 to 6. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me, 24-7. Against you only you have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. David sees how horrible and terrible his sin against God is. Most sin has an earthly component. He could have said, I killed Uriah and, 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 and I had uh, uh, adultery with Bathsheba and, and, and I'm hurting the nation. But none of the earthly component is there. None of the earthly consequences is there. It's only heavenly right now. It's all sin against God and David needs to confess to God first and foremost. This might seem trivial, but please hear me. What David is saying here is no trivial truth. That I've sinned against you and done evil in only your sight. Many people are only concerned with the shame that others have found out about. They're ashamed of the humiliation that someone found out I think of Anthony Weiner running around texting young girls naked. No shame. No guilt. As soon as a year went by, guess what? Trying to run for office again. There comes a time when you hide under a rock and you cry out to God. That's the heavenly component. An unbeliever has no heavenly component. They're just ashamed they got caught. It's a false remorse. You see it in politics, politicians, and even unfortunately you see it within the Christian church all the time. I think of Bill Clinton. I think of Bill Cosby, Jeffrey Epstein, and all these others who hated being caught. Weinstein, they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, and so now they're all ashamed, but they're not ashamed to God. They don't think they've sinned against God. They just got caught. And guess what? They hated. Judas came to his senses, or did he not? No, he did not. Judas hated what he had done and got caught for, but he had no remorse that he did it to God. There was no genuine repentance. 
So when you see David saying, against you and you alone have I sinned, don't think that. He's saying, God, this is a serious matter. I got caught, but the most important thing is I sinned against you, God. I sinned against the living God. The God who loved me and gave me life in my mother's womb. I've sinned against you, God. I've ruined it. I was called to be the king. You trusted me as the shepherd of your people. And I've ruined it, God. That's why he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. This is no superficial get out of jail free card. David knows just how bad it is. And I want you to know something. Only a true believer could ever say what David has said. Only a true believer. You have to have the Holy Spirit in you. Listen to 4B. Fourth verse, second part. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet pronounced judgment against David. He said, you're forgiven, but the sword is never going to depart from your house. There will be espionage and all sorts of assault in David's house for the rest of his life and ministry. It was never good. His life was never the same again. His, his ministry was never the same again. His family life was never the same again. And what David is saying here, David, I accept that the child that was born in adultery died. I accept that judgment, God. I accept that the sword will never leave my house. That there will be a rebellion in my own house from Amnon and from Absalom. I accept it, God. That might not seem like much. David cannot feel sorry for his predicament like many people do. People get to go to jail for something, all of a sudden they want to get... Just want to get out. There's no apology. There's no sincerity. They just want to get out. They cannot say, the judgment that you have given me is just. I deserve to be here. I have sinned against God. I have sinned against humanity. I have sinned against the public. I'm a criminal, and they've given me 30 years, and guess what? Your judgment's just, God. There's no self-pity here about his predicament. Many leaders get caught and they're only concerned about their predicament. That they got caught. And they don't like the judgment. So please, when David says your judgments are just, understand something. He knew that the consequences over his sin are going to be very severe. And he can't have a pity party. You've got to be God. Your judgments are just. I deserve it. That's a man who's coming to his senses now. Many times I sat in front of people that have fallen into grave sins and hurt a lot of people. And I had to sit there and hear the horror of how life got tough on them. Almost saying, like, you've got to be kidding me. You ruined a family and all you're concerned about is now you're out of a job. And you, you can't do this. And in the whole wake of your life, you ruin family members, you ruin family, you ruin friendships, you ruin the neighborhood you live in. People don't trust you no more. And all you're saying is, oh, oh, it's too hard on me. See, David's coming to a sense. He's got a real heavenly perspective on his sin. Remember, there's the earthly perspective and there's God's perspective. 
And David has come to his senses. He realized what he's done. He's not having self-pity. God's judgments against his life are just. There's nothing he can do. He can't turn back the clock. He accepts the forgiveness. But he realizes that God is a stern God. He's a forgiving God. But he's not going to remove the consequences. And David accepts it. Some people are more upset about the personal consequences of their sin more than the sin itself. David is saying that the act of adultery, the act of killing the, the wife, this woman's husband, it was brutal. It ruined him on the inside. He cries out in Psalms in verse 16, remove the blood guiltness. You know what that means? Every morning he woke up, he thought about Uriah, the innocent man that served him, and he killed him. <clears throat> Every day, he killed an innocent man. He killed an innocent Some people sin, they just go their way. I'm like, listen, I don't know about you guys, when, when, when I fall into sin and something goes on, it's like, I, I loathe myself. The thought that I, I would hurt God, the thought that I would hurt another human being. You're looking at a man that I can't even stand to hurt someone's feelings. Hurting someone's feelings drives me to repentance. The thought that I could have hurt someone's feelings. You ever go for the joke? Yeah. I went for the joke the other day. And I hurt someone's guy's feelings and I'm like, what a rotten soul I am. What a rotten soul. And I got to see this guy, and, and I'm praying for this guy that he forgive me. And guess who I saw today? Guess who chickened out? The pastor. But I know I know I owe this guy an apology because I think I hurt his feelings. And uh, but I'm just saying that because the, some people just go around life hurting people. They don't even think twice about it. The Christian who's got the spirit of God in you, you just can't go around hurting people's feelings because you go for the joke. David knows that he's caused pains to other people. Listen to verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive. What is, what is David looking to throw his mother under the bus over here? You know, it's not my fault. Remember what Adam said to Eve? The woman, the woman made me do it, you know. My mom caused me to sin. No, no, no. He's not throwing his mother under the bus. This is deep. David's reflection on his sin naturally goes to highlight his whole life. You know, when you really blow it in life, David really blew it in life, it's time to step back and say, wow, I've been a cad all my life. I've been a liar and someone and, and, and cheater and, 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 and dishonest. And all of a sudden, the, for the Christian, for the believer, when God calls you out on something, it's like your whole life is before you. And the truth of the matter is, you can never go back somewhere and say, you know something, there was a time, of, no, I wasn't good then either. There was a, no, I wasn't good then. And David's looking at his whole life and he's basically saying this, original sin, I'm born in it, God. I've been a sinner since my childhood. That's what David said. When you really reflect on what Christ has done for us and what we've done in life, you know, you, you just can't think like, you know, you can't have a short memory. David's looking at his whole life now, and he realized something. What David just said is something that Jesus said. No one's good but God alone. 
And Paul said this, I know that no good thing dwells in me. Listen to verse 6. Behold, you delight God in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. For personal confessions to be real. And remember, there's a guy pouring out his heart to God. They need to be honest. They need to be gut-wrenching, tear-crying, honest. Snot coming out of your nose. Napkins, and you're like, God, I'm just... I'm awful, God. You desire truth in your inside here, God. But I was lusting after the woman. You desired truth. I should have looked at her as my friend's wife. I should have looked at her as a woman created in your image. And, and here I am in the truth. And there was no truth at the moment, God. I was just, I took matters into my own ugly, sinful hand. And I went and I touched the forbidden fruit. You desired truth in the inward part. That's where you battle sin, in the inward part. tell you something. You're going to live this world, you want to live for God and you're not honest with God you've lost already. You got to be honest. Husbands and wives have to be honest. Children and their parents have to be honest. Friends have to be honest. Pastors have to be honest. We got to be honest. Honesty and transparency is how you overcome temptation. personal confession to be real they got to be honest this is a person that turns over every wayward thought to God everyone there's not a, not a place in their heart and their mind that they don't give to God there's not a secret place that they keep held to themselves and they, they got this double life they got this secret life going on no one knows about it no 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 God wants honesty in the inward most part you don't come here and act like a Christian then go out and do what you want to do. And if you do, and you are a Christian, get ready. God's coming after you. A loving God, an omnipotent loving God that knows everything and knows where you are all the time, is coming after you. Because he loves you. Remember that. He loves you. This is a heart felt heart first prayer a man is a man on the inside before God not in the eyes of other men men can press it up and a man's man and they they make it sound good and and all along God's going are you kidding me (laughs) tell me you're joking David knows what God wants is a man on the inside. A broken human being who knows they got to depend on God. Not this eye service, this lip service thrown around. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is great. I'm a Christian. And all along they got a double life going. You want to be a man before God? Start you. Got to have honesty. Verses 7 
to 12, I want you to know what we're going into is the heart of the psalm now. Everything else is preliminary. Now we're going into the heart of the psalm. David needs personal renewal. He's cried out for forgiveness. He knows he's forgiven, but he's asking for this washing, this blotting out, this removal of iniquity. He needs this personal renewal. A cry to remove guilt's presence. The cry to remove guilt's power now turns to a cry of renewed joy. He's got no happiness. Don't you know eventually sin leads that to every human being? You don't have any happiness. So listen to Psalm, listen to verses 7 on. Well, I'll just verse 7 first. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. This section now opens up with a familiar biblical metaphor for spiritual cleansing, like the other ones we heard. But listen to how David is saying it now. David's not asking. David is making a statement. If you cleanse me, God, I will be cleansed. David's not saying, oh, maybe, if possible, uh, can you do it, God? No, no. He's saying, God, if you choose to cleanse me, I will be cleansed. I will be brand new again. That might not sound like much, but it could take a long time when it comes to a Christian who confesses sin and, and me and John are counseling someone. It could take someone a long time before they come back to say that God loves me so much. He will restore me from my sin. Please hear me. God will restore. He will restore. It's what he does. He doesn't just forgive. Some Christians live on the forgiveness side. They never enter into restore, restoration, renewal, and joy, and hope, and peace again. They never enter into it. They know they're forgiven, but they sort of like, they walk with their tail between their legs the rest of their life with the guilt and the blood guiltness. They can't get past it. They know they're forgiven. But they can never get past to a place of being joyful again. Sin can do that. He goes on to verse 8. He says this. Let me hear joy and gladness again. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. What David's crying out here again is the presence of God in his heart. He wants to have that joy. You know what that is? It's a conscience that's right with God. That's what this is. It's not some happy, joyful song, you know, doing your happy dance every once in a while. It's a conscience that knows it's right with God. And with that, there's a certain joy that comes with that. A conscience right with God and the spiritual fruit of unsolicited joy. Christians wake up sometimes and they're just, they're just happy people. Life can be throwing everything at you, but there's a sense of joy that the thing that we sang about tonight, blessed be his name. Even in a time of wilderness, even in a time of tribulation, we can still bless God's name. There's still the presence of joy in our life. The joy here has nothing to do with the circumstances of life. It's God's joy that he gives to us. It's his favor. In the New Testament, it's called sonship. The spirit of sonship. And we have this 
sense this closeness with God that's automatic. You don't earn it. You can't drum it up. It's a gift by God to you and I. It's unsolicited. It just comes to a faithful believer. Once you believe, God gives you joy. That's gone now in David's life. He had it. It's gone. And that's a brutal existence. Joy is the fruit of redemption. But God can refuse it to the guilty conscience that does not repent. David is pleading with God to rewire his mind and rewire his heart. Mend my heart like like you would mend a broken bone, God. Mend my heart. Tranquilizers can't do it. Alcohol can't do it. Drugs can't do it. Women can't do it. Men can't do it. A job can't do it. Exercise can't do it. Health can't do it. The only thing that can do it is God. It has the same meaning as all the other metaphors used already for the removal of guilt. But this time it's from a positive perspective. He doesn't want the guilt removed. He's cried out for that. He wants the joy restored. So it's not about interpersonal uh, reflection anymore. He's like, God, I need your tangible touch in my life. You see, the great intangibles that make life bearable, joy and hope and love and peace and contentment. You want a good life? Who wants a good life? You want joy? You want peace? You want to know what it is to be loved? You want to to know what it is to love another human being? You want to have contentment? That's rich. The Bible calls that rich. Not the money in our pocket and nothing else. Contentment. Just to sit there on a park bench with a book and just love life. David's crying out for that again. He doesn't have it. It's ruined. If you remember anything from today, remember this. Sin steals the great intangibles of joy, hope, love, peace, and contentment. These are always the unforeseen victims of sin. And I can fast forward right at the application. I'm not going to finish today because we're running late. But understand something. Is there a sense of joy gone? A sense of hope gone? A sense of peace gone? You got contentment in your life? Are you filled with hope? Do you feel like this God's going to do something wonderful in my life? I want you to know something. If those things are missing, as a Christian pastor, I would have to sit down with someone and say, look at your life. Is there hidden sin that you don't even realize about? Sin steals. And the first thing it goes after is our peace with God. He goes on to say in verse 9, 10, you know something? Hold your horses. We're going to stop. And I will break this into another sermon, which I'm glad to, because I don't want to rush through the rest of this psalm. It gets really, really good. And so I'm going to put it on hold. Everybody take a deep breath. I'm a pastor. I'm allowed to do that. Call the quits right now. (laughs) 
All right, let's think about how sin steals. So we're gonna we'll pick up verse nine and to nineteen next week. But let, let's just reflect on some application over here. All right. As I just said, all Christians will, to some degree, experience something of David's remorse. Please, if you're a Christian, and you, you, you understand that we don't have to go around killing people, and we don't have to go around committing adultery, but I want you to know something. Jesus says this, if you look at a woman with, sin, with, with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. The Christian man doesn't, he wants those thoughts taken care of. And the Christian woman, we don't want to live with those romantic thoughts. We don't want to live with those uh, contrary thoughts. We don't, we don't want to sit there and entertain these kind of thoughts. We want to get right. God desires, he desires truth in the inward part of our being where honesty is. You know, you got to bring these things to the Lord. If it becomes a stronghold, you got to talk to somebody about that. Let another brother or another sister hold hands and pray together. That's a stronghold. Let's be careful of that. All Christians to some degree will have remorse over their sin. Every Christian. There's no way you could be a genuinely born-again believer with the Holy Spirit and not fall into a time of guilt and, and shame because of our actions. Now, we're fortunate because you know what God did? God said, David, I'm taking your shame, your guilt, and guess what? I'm going to put it in the Bible for the world to read. <laughs> I want to ask so That's what David did. David, after he wrote this, he gave it to the choir. He gave it to the psalmist. He gave it to someone, the, the, the administrator of, of the temple. And he said, you start reading this psalm at the temple. You know what a psalm is? It's a song. And you would come into the temple and they would be pouring David's life story out in a song. But understand something. When you know the mercy and forgiveness of God, you don't care anymore. Because all you want is other people to be spared. You want other people to be spared. Application two. Unforeseen victims. Sin steals. Simple as that. And you really have to look at your life and say, where's the joy? Where's the hope? Where's the peace? Where's the happiness? Where's the contentment? Where is it? And if it's missing, I'm not saying it's sin. But it's the first place to look for. Okay? Everybody should take a real good moral inventory of their life and say, how is my walk with God? Am I really enjoying God? Am I really enjoying the Savior? Or am I just going through another decade of going through the motions? Do you know you can go through two, three, four, five decades of going through the motions and never really be close to God? I'll leave it at that. We'll pick it up next week. So, Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for at least half of the psalm of David's remorse, God, and how it helps us to see you and your steadfast love, Father God. And, God, that you desire truth in the inward parts, God, and that you, you, you want genuine honesty and transparency with our failures, Father God. And I ask you to teach the children, Father God, all the children here, that you desire truth, God, and honesty, not lies and little lies. Let the children know that little lies are no lies at all they're bad they're bad and they steal bless the children father and bless all of us father God and let the men know to be a real man you gotta be gut wrenching honest on the inside and let all the women know that God desires truth in the human part of their own being too God 
We all need you, Lord. Watch over us, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen.